All right, Romans chapter 8, where we've now been forever, but we're going to continue there. Romans chapter 8, we we are still looking at what words? How many words, I should say? Six words, and what are the six words? Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification, and election. Election, yeah, calling comes before, all right. So, everybody got those words? All right, now we've been looking at them. Now, I know that because of the section we are in, that I guess the typical way you would approach this, you mention some of the words, and then you would do kind of a more in-depth study, say, of the tulip, uh, of maybe Reformed theology, or you would spend a lot of time trying to fight against Reformed theology and preach it a different way. Uh, But what we have done is we didn't really approach it from that perspective. What we did is, we have six words here, correct? And those six words are there. I don't care what your theology... This point is not, I don't want to bring a systematic theology to this, even though we're relying on a systematic theology. What I want us to do is, these words are here. I don't, it doesn't matter what you feel about them. doesn't matter if you like them. doesn't matter if you dislike them. doesn't matter if you don't believe that they say what they say. The words are there, and the words have what? Meaning, and not only do the words have meaning, I want to make sure everyone in this church is an expert on this, okay? When you look at the way the passage is written, it leads you to basically only one kind of understanding. So let's go through this again. The first first word was what? Foreknowledge. God foreknows. He has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means not only to know, it means to have knowledge Beforehand, and it also carries the idea of foreordaining something. All right, so God foreknows. Not only does he foreknows, those he foreknows, he does what? He predestines. In fact, go back to the text. When it speaks of God's foreknowledge, does it just say God foreknowledge? Does it just say God foreknows? Or what does it say? For whom? For those. So this is speaking of a group of people God knows beforehand. Does everybody see that? Those he foreknows, he does what? He predestinates. So the, those he foreknows, he's predestinating. Yes? Now remember, if we take foreknowledge as God, all he is doing is looking through time and going, oh look, Bobby's going to choose me. And he just knows that. The next part makes no sense, Right? Because he wouldn't need to predestine anything because he would already know what Bobby is going to do. This is the idea that he knows Bobby when? Beforehand. And not only does he know Bobby, what's the next thing? He's going to predestinate. And then what's the next? Not to be conformed, but then now he's going to predestinate. Next word? He's going to call him. Now remember... He foreknows, he predestinates, he calls him, and not only is he going to call him, what is he going to do? And then immediately right here, you can say, time out. If you're like having a conversation, someone goes, stop. And then what's the next question there? Is everyone justified? If everyone's not justified, then is everyone called? No. And if not everyone is called, is everyone predestinated? And is everyone foreknown? Not in this particular... We do know God knows everything, right? We do know he predetermines everything. And we know he, the calling goes out to everyone. But this is obviously referring to things that have a very specific 
foreknowing a certain person, predestinating a certain person, calling a certain person, and justifying. There's no way to get around that. Again, if you say, well, no, foreknowledge, because the, the way some people get out of this is to run back to the foreknowledge and go, no, he just foresees what's going to happen. Well, then he wouldn't be predestinating anything. And what is he predestinating? That they're going to be called and they're going to be justified. All right, and then we spent last week talking about justification. Now, we didn't even scratch the surface. We could spend hours and hours talking about justification, but we just, we got a basic idea of what justification is. What is, what, what is the basic understanding of justification? Just a quick reminder and see if everybody remembers. What was our basic definition of justification I gave you last week? It, what, say it? It's an instantaneous legal act of God he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. It's a legal declaration. Are we infused with righteousness? No. It is imputed. We are declared to be righteous. And why are we declared to be righteous? By faith. But ultimately, why, how come we end up the justified ones? Because he called us, predestinated us, for no knew us. I know that not everyone likes that, but it's not my... Again, when people get mad at me about this, I'm, I'm always baffled. Like, why did you get mad at me? I didn't write Romans 8. And if I can't understand Romans 8 based off the words that are used, then I give up. That, that, this was the argument I had at the Bible Institute in Papillion, Nebraska, when I was arguing with everyone about this. And it was like all of these attacks. And I'm like, if we can't understand this, there's no point in reading anything else in the Bible. For those he foreknew, he predestinated, he called. Like, is that, if we can't, do you understand? If we cannot figure that out, there's no point in trying to interpret anything else in the Bible. Everything else in the Bible just becomes meaningless. Because literally, we're just dealing with words. Not only, we, not only are we dealing with words, we're dealing with words that have a, they're a chain. One is connected to the other, the other, like, this is not like we're taking six words from different parts of the Bible, right? These are six words put in a chain by one author. One leads to the other. The next leads to... You can, you, can, you can spend eight hours. What I typically have seen, and I've watched this in a lot of churches, that they don't like this doctrine that we're kind of putting forth. And it's amazing. They will go verse by verse through Romans, right? I mean, weeks, months, and then they get to these words, and it's amazing how quickly they, they, they skip past them, and they spend most of the time trying to explain them away. Well, it doesn't really mean that. So the words don't mean what they... We've, we, we've looked up all of them in Greek, right? We, we, didn't, we didn't add anything to our discussion. All right, so where are we today? I know we could spend more time on justification, but where are we today? What word are we at? I heard someone say it. Glorification. Glorification. Now, this one's not controversial, is it? This is not controversial. But let me ask you a question. Based off this text, what is the assurance of your glorification? No. 
What, what is the basis of your assurance of, uh, uh, for this glorification? What is the basis for you being assured of your glorification? According to this text. Okay. All right. Let's, that, you, write it this, this, I want you to write this down. My assurance of glorification is the work of God. Now, why would I say that based off this text? Because how do I get to the glorification? He foreknew, he predestined, called, justified, glorified. Now, why do I stress that, it's, that the, your assurance of glorification is the work, is God? It's God's work. Because then what are we not to look to to determine if I'm going to be glorified? Our works. Now, that goes against some other people's theology, right? I'm going to pull up the mic a little bit here. Okay, hopefully that works better. Hopefully it sounds okay. I wasn't uh, seeing where the mic was. All right, why is that significant? I'm going to open up the uh, app really quick in case we have any people asking questions here. Right? Let me open this up really quick because I always forget there's no one back there. Well, I've got to turn the volume down. All right, here we go. Okay, good. All right, no questions. All right, so I just want to stress this. Some people speak of, well, because glorification is, think of it this way. Glorification is the ultimate proof that you were saved, right? Yes? Okay. So a lot of people say the way to determine if a person is saved is doing what? Looking at what they do. Now, they will say they're doing it because of God's work, but they still, the focus is on what Bobby, like, in other words, remember we've talked about this, the test kind of concept, right? So I pull out my list and go, okay, Bobby, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you, okay, well, Bobby, I don't think you're saved. Then you're not saved. That puts the emphasis on what Bobby has done. This text doesn't put the emphasis on what Bobby has done. This text puts the emphasis on what? What God has done and will do. Right? Forno, past. Predestinated, past. Calling can be present depending on the individual. But if we're all saved, calling is in our past. If we're saved, he's already justified. And then what's the past, would, the future will be glorification. And the, and the assurance of it is everything that God has done. Not on what we do. I know we don't like, I know a lot of Christians get upset about that because you're saying, well, so someone can be saved and do A, B, C, D, E. Well, you can, we can make those arguments all day. The point is salvation is based off what God has done, not what I do. Because if it becomes based off what I do, then we're going to go back to justification and say that we were infused with a righteousness and that I've got to cooperate with it enough to get glorified. That's Roman Catholicism. This is the work of God. Now, let's see if we can understand glorification. We're going to use Grudem again. I don't know how far we're going to get into this, but I, I just want you to see that very important thing. There's a couple of directions we could go with glorification, but that's okay. All right. Uh, in Grudem's Systematic Theology, in chapter 42, he calls this chapter glorification, and then in parentheses, receiving a resurrection body. So his fo- he's going to focus on the resurrection body. I just want to focus on what basically glorification is and and try to connect a couple of things to it. This is what he says. When Christ redeemed us, he did not just redeem our spirits or souls. He redeemed us as a whole person. And this includes the redemption of our bodies. 
Therefore, the application of Christ's work of redemption to us will not be complete until the perfection for which God created them. In fact, the redemption of our bodies will only occur when Christ returns and raises our bodies from the dead. But at this present time, Paul says that we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And he adds, for in this uh, hope we are saved. Look at Romans 8, 23 to 24, just so that you can see this concept. Romans 8, 23 to 24. All right, everybody see it? Does it talk about the redemption of our bodies? What is it? Someone read it out loud so that everybody can hear. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for our, the adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. Okay. For, in this we, uh, for in this hope we were saved. There you go. All right. The redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for that. What are we currently doing? Groaning. Groaning. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. Why do we groan currently in our bodies? What is the reason for the present groaning? Our bodies do what? Get sick, get weak, and die. Our bodies have the sinful flesh. So that struggles against us trying to live out a Christian life. So we groan. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Therefore, when we get the... And I want to make this very clear. This is very important. Because a lot of people want to take... This is, I want to, I want to make, this is such a critical point. Maybe we're going to make it a, uh, later as we get into this. But I want you to just really get this concept down. And then we'll see what Grudem does. But we may have to come back to it. So everyone got their thinking caps on? All right. If glorification involves the redemption of our body... Right? And it's future. In some people's theology, they want to take the glorification process and move it, the future glorification, and move it to the present. And this is how they do so. They will quote, by his stripes, we are what? Healed. And they'll say, in Christ's redemption and his atonement, he provides for divine healing. And they want to make that happening when? Right now. So they teach, I'm going to lose my voice. So they teach this, that let's say there's Emma, she has faith. That by faith, if she gets sick, she can just simply do what? Claim her healing because it's already guaranteed. It's not if it's God's will, it's God's will that you will be healed of everything. So therefore the redemption applies to when? Right now. So they want to take the promise. I, I want, I've always argued this. Do I believe that in Christ's atonement, healing is promised? Yes, I do believe it's promised. Do I believe in the redemption? There's a promise of complete healing. Yes, but it all occurs when? And glorification. Because in glorification, what's going to happen? A new body? No more pain? No more sickness? No more disease, no more death, no more sin. Currently, what are we doing? Groaning. Isn't that what the text says? We're groaning currently. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Some people wants to, some Christians want to remove the groaning of the present age with a promise of no more sickness because you can just be healed of everything. But that's not the reality. 
They, they, they take glorification and try to apply it to the present. The present is filled with groaning. We wait for the glorification. So we got to keep glorification where? In its proper place. All right? The charismatics run around almost speaking of a glorification happening now. That they'll, they'll always talk about it. This great revival is coming. Hospitals are going to be emptied out. People are going to raise from the dead. There's going to be no more sickness. And you're like, I think you're talking about heaven. <laughs> okay? Because that's not now. What's now? Groaning. All right. In fact, I'm going to go back and read it. Romans 8, 23. Or verse 22, for we know that what groans? The whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together unto now, and not only they, so not all, not only all of creation, but what? Ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. See, now there's a reason we have the Spirit. The Spirit is the first fruit. It's the guarantee. Right? So, uh, of, that even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What are we waiting for? The adoption to wit, the what? Redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? In other words, we're hoping for something that we don't want yet, that we don't quite yet see. We don't see it. Now, if all these miracles are supposed to be happening, then we would be seeing it, but we don't see it. Because it's saved for when? Glorification. Glorification. Does everybody see the reasons why glorification is important? All right, let me get me stated again. Glorification is important because it demonstrates that your salvation is based off the work of God, not you. And glorification is important so that you understand the proper place of where there's going to be no more pain, no more sickness, and no more death. And it gives you a correct understanding of the present time. The present time is a time of what? Groaning. Right? What is the present time a time of? Groaning. I cannot stress that enough. It's going to be a time of pain and groaning. And what else is going to be? It's going to be a time of sin. Okay, everybody, does everybody understand that? That the current time we live in is a time of groaning. It's a time of sin. The time of sin. Again, we just talked about in Sunday school, some people believe that, hey, you know, if you just walk by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's not now. That's when. Heaven. Does everybody understand all of that? Okay. The stage in the application of redemption when we receive resurrection bodies is called glorification. Referring to that future day, Paul says that we will be glorified with him. Moreover, when Paul traces the steps and the application of redemption, at last, the last one name he names is glorification. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he justified, he, then those are whom he will also glorify. The day we are glorified will be a day of great victory because on that day the last enemy death will be destroyed just as scripture predicts. Okay? So, we can define glorification as this. Are you ready? Everybody ready for the definition? We're going to use Grudem's definition here. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. So glorification is what? 
the final step in the application of redemption Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. When will it happen? It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died. So I've got to read this again. I know there's a lot, so let me go through it slowly. All right. Glorification is the the final step in the application of redemption. Everybody got that part? All right. It will happen when Christ returns. Say amen when you got that. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died. So let's go through that again. Glorification is what? Final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when? Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of whom? All believers for all time who have died. Ready for the last part? And reunites them with their souls. And changes the body of all believers who remain alive thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. So he's going to raise from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died. He's going to reunite them with their soul and he's going to change the bodies of all the believers who remain alive. Thereby giving all believers what? He's going to give all believers the perfect resurrection body like his own. Anybody need me to repeat any of that? I'm going to check and see online if anybody needs me to repeat that. I don't see anything yet. The the, the body of those who remain alive. Yeah, yes. The the body of believers who remain alive. Now, this gets into a system of eschatology, uh, like when it's going to occur. So we won't get into all of that. But the point is, if we're alive and Christ returns... When he returns. Okay, oh, yeah, I'll read that last part again. Okay, all right, here we go. I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then you can, uh, wherever you're missing, you can fill in. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the body of all believers for all time who have died. And he reunites them with their souls. And he changes the body of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers, at the same time, perfect resurrection bodies like his own. So ultimately, what are we going to end up with? A glorified body like Christ's. Right? Everybody got that? Now, what, what do you think is the, as far as the New Testament is concerned, what do you think is the primary text about this in the New Testament? 
primary New Testament passage that teaches this concept? What do you think? Oh, well, that's, that's a guess. That's a good guess. It's not the one we're looking for, but it's a good guess. Thessalonians is good, but it's not correct. <laughs> we spent about nine years studying the book. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Glad to see all of those nine years were well worth our time. Okay, no, first. I mean, Emma was like three back then, so okay. Okay, okay. First Corinthians. Anybody know which chapter? Fifteen. Good job. First Corinthians fifteen. All right. There's a lot here in this text. Um, I, what I'm. Well, it goes from verse 12 all the way down to verse 58, I think. 12 is how many verses in it? Yeah, 58 verses in the chapter. So it goes pretty much from verse 12 all the way to the end of the chapter. That's a lot to read right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let Gruda make references back to that section. If he gives us a section, we may go look at it. But that's the primary focus that, that about the resurrection, glorified bodies, and all of that. It's all right there, okay? So I'd like to work through it right now, but... Uh, we won't we won't do that because if I start working through it, you know what that means, right? We'll be there for a year. Okay, so all right, here we go. So this is how Grudem states it: the primary New Testament passage on glorification or the resurrection of the body is First Corinthians fifteen, and yeah, he does have down twelve through fifty eight. Paul says, and then he's going to make a reference to uh, I think verse twenty two and twenty three here. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. I think that's verse 22 and 23. Is that correct? Does that sound right? Okay, I want to make sure. Paul discusses the nature of the resurrection body in some detail in verses 35 through 50. Yeah, would you agree that that's true? All right. Um, He then concludes the passage by saying that not all Christians will die, but some who remain alive when Christ returns will simply have their bodies instantaneously changed into new resurrection bodies that can never grow old, weak, or die. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52. Tell me you're looking at it whenever you say amen. I'm going to read what he has here. Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible or imperishable and we shall all or we shall be changed all right everybody got that now if you go to first thessalonians who said first thessalonians a minute ago whoever did okay obviously that's another good one go to first thessalonians chapter four First Thessalonians, I think it's 4.14. Okay, I'm going to read what Grudem has to say. You can just have uh, chapter 4, verse 14, looking at it, and, and I think we're getting ready to quote it here in a minute. Okay, everybody ready? Paul further explains in First Thessalonians that the souls of those who have died and gone to be with Christ will come back and be joined with their bodies on, the day, on that day, for Christ will bring them with him. And then I think he's getting ready to quote First Thessalonians 4.14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep. Is that correct? 
1 Thessalonians 4.14. But here Paul affirms not only that God will bring with Christ those who have died, he also affirms that the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Does he say that? Yep. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Everybody see that? So these believers also who have died with Christ are also raised up to meet Christ. Paul says in verse 17, we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Does that make sense? Uh, this only makes sense if the souls of believers who have gone into Christ's presence will, will, who return with him, if it is in their bodies that are raised from the dead to be joined together with their souls and then ascend to be with Christ. All right? And then there's plenty of other New Testament passages about it. All right? Everybody got that? Okay, so, now, there's more that they could go, there's more that we could do here, all right? There's a lot more, he goes through uh, Old Testament passages, there's a lot more we could we could proceed through, but what we're going to do is, I just want us to, to get a good understanding of what's going to happen here, right? I'm going to kind of repeat some of the things I said at the beginning, but I'm going to stress this. So are you ready? Here, I want to make sure you just get your thinking caps on, all right? Glorification is a, a absolutely critical concept to understand because it really fixes two major issues, right? And I want you to just see it from this perspective. The first issue it resolves is Romans 8 demonstrates that glorification proves that our salvation is all a work of whom? God. I just want you to see that because you didn't do anything about it. You're going to be glorified not because of what you do. You're, not, you're going to be glorified not because of how righteous you appear to be. You're going to be glorified because Christ foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified you, and glorified you. All right? So any, any talk about, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, the, the, this, this proves this, or this proves this, or this proves this, it may... Our works may demonstrate something, but it's not the way that I can test your salvation. I just gotta, there's just no way I can test your salvation based off that. Alright? God's the one, God's the one who's going to do it. It's the work of God. Can you glorify yourself? Can you justify yourself? Can you call yourself? Can you predestinate yourself? Can you, uh, foreknow yourself? It's all the work of God. All right, And then, the, the thing I really want to drive home is glorification has to be kept in its proper place. So many times people want to take glorification and bring it into the here and now. It's not, glorification is not for the here and now. Glorification is not for the here and now. What is, what is the here and now a time of? Groaning, and I, and I know nobody wants to say it, but we'll say it, it's a time of sin. I'm not saying it's a time we should celebrate sin. I'm not saying it's a time that we should go pursue sin. I'm not saying it's a time that we should, you know, just brag about the sin, but it's the reality, is it not? When will sin be gone? Christ returns. When will the groaning stop? Glorification. Just say glorification. Right? That's when it all goes away. When will sickness be gone? Glorification. When will death be gone? Glorification. Right? Glorification resolves all of these problems. So many times, 
when we're arguing with a charismatic, really what they're arguing for, they're arguing for glorification to be made present now. And you want to look at them and say, no, 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 now is groaning. Now is pain. Now is sickness. Now is death. Now is funerals. Now is pandemics. Now is hurricanes. Now is plagues. Now is cancer. Now is people being paralyzed, crippled, dying of starvation. That's the now in which we live. There's no way to deny that. 24,000 people die every day of starvation in the world. 10,000 of those are children. About every, I think, I, I think every, what, 11 minutes? I can't remember the, uh, how it breaks down when you get down to the minutes. It's just absolutely staggering what happens in our world around us. Now, we can pretend like we don't see it, but it's a time of pain, injustice, corruption, cruelty, and, and, and that, that's the reality. And you can't drag glorification from the future and bring it into the present and say, no, 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 no. Stri- God's glory is going to sweep through the nation. And that's what charismatics are always talking about, the coming revival. The coming revival. It's going to be amazing. Hospitals are going to be emptied out. Funeral homes are going to be emptied out. People are going to raise from the dead. And it's like, stop it. Y'all been saying that since the 70s. You're lying. It's not coming. Okay, you, you're, you're trying to pull glorification and put it into the present. Glorification is kept where? In the future. Again, what, is, what, what do we live right now in a time of? Groaning. Sin. Suffering. Funerals. All of those things. That's the present. Trying to, put on, trying to turn the present into a Disney movie doesn't work. It's not a Disney movie. It's an ugly reality. Do I wish it was the case? No. I wish it wasn't the case. But guess where glorification is? I mean, in fact, go back to that Romans 8 passage. Go back to the Romans 8. Verse 22. And... uh. Stephen, you have the NIV, so I'm going to ask you to, to, to see how different it is here. But I, I think we're all on the same page here. So I want you to see this again, all right? Everybody there? All right, go back to verse 20, Romans 8, 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. So remember, all of creation was subject to vanity, right? <clears throat> not willingly. We didn't have a choice in, this, in the matter. God did this. But he did so in what? And hope. Remember, we've talked about this, but now it all comes back to this glorification part. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation does what? Groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Do you see the pain and the groaning in creation now? Yes. And not only they, but who else? Ourselves also. This is Christians. As Christians, we, that's, that's who that's referring to. How do I know that's referring to Christians in verse 23? First fruits of the Spirit. So verse 23 is Christians. And guess what we do? We groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We are waiting for it. We're not experiencing it. We're waiting for it. And then what happens in the next verse? For we are saved by hope. How does the NIV state it? 
For in, in this hope, in other words, when we become saved, part of that salvation is this hope. What's the hope? Glorification. Your hope isn't that glorification will show up tomorrow. Your hope is not that glorification will show up at Hendrix right now where people are suffering and dying. Your hope is that what? There's a future glorification. And, and how do I know that, that, that it's referring to something future and not present? There we go. But hope that is seen is not hope. If you can see it, it's not hope. I can't see it. Charismatics want to pretend that they can. Right? They'll say, I, I've heard it so many, I used to hear it all the time. Oh, man, when I would listen to sermons, from, I'll just name the church, New Hope, and they, they would talk, this Sunday evening, you know, we, well, we're going to have a healing service. And they, they, they'd mention it, you know, and, and all these people came, and this person was healed, and this person was healed. And then Monday morning, I'd be at work on the appointment line, and then people who attend New Hope calling me for an appointment. I wanted to hang up on them. I'm like, no, go back to your church and get healed. Click. Why are you calling me for an appointment? And I would always give the uh, person who worked with me a hard time because she was from New Hope, and I would be like, hey, could you just help us out today? She's like, what do you want me to do? Well, when anyone calls, just heal them over the phone, and then we'll have plenty of open spots for people who don't get divine healing. And she, guess how many people she healed over the phone? Nobody! And guess all the people who supposedly got healed at their healing service calling me for an appointment. Why do they need an appointment? You got healed, didn't you? They're lying. So guess what? They were, they, they were, trying, to, they were trying to see something that wasn't there. Where, if it's hope, we don't see it. It's because we don't see it. Why? Why, do we can't, why can't we not see it? It's future. It's not present. Glorification is not going to happen today. Unless Christ returns, obviously. Okay, but I'm saying, until he returns, we are left in a world where there's pain and suffering and death. Now, I know that I'm adding that to the discussion of glorification. Romans, the, 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 that, that part of Romans points to the glorification that's going to show up in Romans 8, 28, and 29. But I want... The, the emphasis in Romans 8, 28 and 29 with the six words is really on the salvation, the soteriological implications of glorification. And the soteriological implications is that glorification is not based on what you do, it's based off what Christ did. I, I just cannot stress that enough. That's the implication from the soteriological standpoint. But I want to look at it from the practical standpoint that the present time is a time of groaning. And you just, if your theology if your theology does not have a place for a present groaning, suffering, pain, and death, you're going to get very discouraged because you're going to think Christianity is not working. But the work of Christianity for, to remove all of that is not in the present. It is in the future. That's where it belongs. It's called glorification. It's not called anything else. Does everyone understand that? Any questions about glorification? Now, we can get into questions. So what is the glory? Everyone starts asking questions. These are usually the questions that talk about glorification. Are we going to recognize each other with a glorified body? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to recognize you. You're going to recognize me. You know what? To be honest, I know a lot of people care about that. I could care less. And you say, well, that sounds mean. Why? 
I'm going to be in the presence of God. I think I have more important things to look at than you. You say, but, but my family, my loved ones, I, I think when you are in the presence of God, that's still going to be the most important thing, right? So I don't know if you're going to know each other. I don't know if you're, oh, there's all these just crazy questions. So what is it going to look like? And what can we do? And are we going to look older? Are we going to look younger? I don't have a clue. Okay, I, I don't know. We can, spend, we can spend years trying to figure all of that. So, okay, wait. Well, Jesus and his glorified body. So, are we going to look like we're 33? Or, I, mean, I don't know. Am I going to have supernatural power? Oh, just stop it, okay? Because we're trying to understand it from a fleshly perspective. Right? It's a glorified body. Have you ever seen one? They say, well, it's going to be like Christ's body. And so then we'll go, well, when, after Christ was resurrected, well, they could still touch him, but they didn't really recognize him at first. But then he could seem like he could pass through walls. So then everybody's like, so can I do all of that? It does, and what? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why people want to figure all of those things out. I'm just like, I'm going to have a glorified body. You know what I'm happy about? No pain. No suffering. No more seizures. I, I, that may not mean anything to you. That means a lot to me. No more headaches. I've, I've had a headache since 2003 after I got the shot. I've never had a day without a headache, without a migraine, every day. Never going to go away until glorification. Now you've got issues, so I'm happy about it. But you know what I'm most happy about? Guess what will be gone? The sinful nature, which we spent Sunday school talking about. It'll be gone. Well, are you happy? I'm happy about that. All right, so there is glorification. I know we, look, Grudem goes, and much he goes to all the Old Testament passages that seem to hint at glorification. Look, the New Testament makes it pretty clear. We, we agree those 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians passages. We don't really need more. Uh, we could, and then he, he goes into why does the glorification, he spent a whole time, what is the glorified body like? Okay, I guess we could spend hours trying to figure out what the glorified body is like, but that's not the emphasis. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, there may be some discussion about what the body is like, but in Romans 8, that's not the emphasis. So I'm not going to make that the emphasis in Romans 8. All right, so what, let's go through this again, and we'll end with this. We're going to end before 4.12 maybe. All right, here we go. What's the first word? Foreknowledge, right? Who has the foreknowledge? God. It's not just a foreknowledge of an action, it's a foreknowledge of a... Of people, right? For those whom, right? Everybody got that? For those he foreknew, he predestined. Now remember, if foreknowledge is just knowing what you will do, then there would be no need to predestine it because he already knew it. So if he predestined it, if he foreknows it, the reason it's happening is because he predestined it. Does that make sense? That means you can't say, no, 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 no. God doesn't predetermine anything. It literally says he predestines. I don't know. That means to predetermine beforehand. It doesn't mean that. Well, then, then, then no word in the Bible means what it appears to say. At that point, then, I, then get, adultery doesn't mean adultery. Now, if I say that, everybody will lose their mind, right? Well, why not? I mean, if they, if we, we basically sometimes with the Bible, we just make it say whatever we want it to say. Isn't it amazing how we can work that? You know, that doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that. At some point, I'm just like, why do we even play the game? Just make it say what you want to do and do what you want to do. Because that's, what, that's the game we play. But foreknowledge, predestination, 
called justified, glorified. So your glorification, I want to make it, I want to make it very clear. What is your glorification based off? Based on the work of the work of God, not you. Right? And that work includes foreknowledge, predestination, calling, and justification. And he's going to glorify you. I'm glad my glorification is not dependent on what I do. I'm glad it's based off what God did and what God does. Because if it was based off me, how long would would I ever get to glorification? No. In fact, why do you think Roman Catholicism has to have a purgatory? They have to have a purgatory because nobody can get to heaven. So if you don't have a purgatory, guess where everyone would end up? Hell. So you have to have a purgatory that now you can get help because you're never able to get enough to be glorified. You can only get into the purgatory where now you can have your sins purged so that hopefully now you can get there and then people praying for you, you know, after you're dead to try to get you all the way there, you know maybe earning some indulgences for you or whatever the case may be. It's like, well, that's the whole reason they need that. Because their system is designed that nobody can succeed. Because they're, they're smart enough to realize that, hey, you're supposedly infused with the righteousness. You've got it better. They even know that nobody's going to do enough. So we've got to get you to purgatory and then we can get you all the way. Well, if, if, if you've got to go to purgatory to get your sins purged away, and God's, so God does the work in purgatory? Or are you doing the work in purgatory? Right? If God's doing the work in purgatory, then why wouldn't he just do the work in justification and get me there? I mean, well, we could have all kinds of issues with that whole uh, system. All right? So any questions about glorification? Right? I understand I didn't answer your questions of what your glorified body is going to look like. I don't know if you're going to recognize your family. I don't know if you're going to recognize your friends. I don't know the answer to any of that. All right? Okay, Twyla said she got it. Okay, good. So Twyla understands it all, right? That's it. That, we're done. If Twyla understands, we're finished. Okay, that's the end. All right. So any, everybody here good? All right. Now, again, I'm not, I wish I could answer all of those questions about every, that everyone always has about the glorified body. I don't really have a clue. I don't know. We're not going to be able to die. We're not going to get sick and we can't sin. Praise God. End of story. That's all I need. Right? How it's going to work out, you know what? I'll know when I get there. Right? I know you may long for it, but just make sure, just make sure when you get to heaven, make sure that you're, the thing you desire most when you get to heaven is God, not everything else. It, because sometimes we desire, I think we desire all kinds of earthly things. Well, I'm going to have a mansion on a hill. It's going to be streets of gold. And I'm going and, and to be with my friends. And my, we, we, we almost turn heaven into like, you know, a, a five-star resort that we take a cruise to go to. And it's not a cruise ship. It's about God. If God is not the central focus of your vision of heaven, then your focus of heaven is fleshly and wrong. It's got to be about God. Sometimes it's about, well, I'm going to see my, you know, when we get there, I'm going to see this person and that person. That, that you're, you're, if you're going to put people before God, then your, your whole purpose, your whole understanding of heaven is incorrect. Does that make sense? I'm not saying all those other things aren't beneficial. I'm just saying that it's got to be about God. Or you're, you, you've turned heaven into com- something completely fleshly. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, I'm going to get emails on that. People are going to get mad at me, but that's okay. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for these words that we have looked at so far. We're only one to go. But these five words that we've looked at, it's, it's all your work. We get no credit. 
You get the praise, you get the honor, and our hope is not in what we can do or could do, it's what you did. And we thank you for it, and we thank you that you sent your son to make it possible. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said,